The following sermon was preached at Redeemer Church in Tumball, Texas. For more information, go to makingmuchofjesus.org. As we look at the Bible, what we're seeing is not static words on a page, but when we hear the Bible, we are hearing Christ. We're hearing from the Lord Jesus. And one of the things we're going to start doing now is when we read the Bible together, we are going, I mean, imagine this is the same power, same equivalent, same authority, is that when the Bible is open, when the Bible is read, it is as though the very Lord Jesus himself is in our midst, in our number. And so I think it's, I know it seems old school, but I like to have a little bit of old school in my life every now and then. I want us to stand in honor of Christ and his word as we read 2 Corinthians Chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. So let's stand together and let's read what Paul is going to tell us about true spirituality. Beginning in verse 1. The Spirit says, through our brother Paul, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom from God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord? So as to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. You may be seated. What is true spirituality? A lot of people in the world are okay with being spiritual, being some kind of spirituality, but there's really only one true spirituality, and it's rooted in the gospel. The secret hidden wisdom of God now revealed to us by the Spirit, as Paul says. The spirituality of the Corinthians, that is alive and well in our day. The, the culture in Corinth was obsessed with showboating and, and impressive speaking and intelligence and entertaining rambling on with philosophical nothingness. And Paul says, I refuse to play that game. What we just read in verses one to five, he says, I desire to know one thing among you, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all I'm about. 
And so that's what we should be about, this one thing. But the Corinthians, what's happening here at this church is they are thinking, okay, I I get the gospel stuff. I'm fine. I'm good. I understand. Jesus died. He rose. Yada, yada. Where's the deep stuff? Give me the real goods. We've moved on. We're mature. We're ready to level up. But they don't see their issue. They don't see their problem. They think they're ready for some new kind of deep teaching, which they misunderstand, and we misunderstand that in Christ are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge of God. There's nothing deeper than the gospel. There's nothing more satisfying than Jesus himself. And when the Corinthians are saying, we're mature, we're ready to move on, they don't yet see that yet their lives have boiled over into unrepentant sin. I mean, if you just read the letter of 1 Corinthians, all the issues in the church, one, incest, two, sexual immorality, three, divisions and conflicts, four, they're suing one another, five, they're abusing and getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, and six, they're abusing all of their spiritual gifts. I would not say these are mature people, yet they think they are because they misunderstand and misconstrue what maturity really is, and we're guilty of this as well. As soon as we hear someone spouting off a ton of verses, we think, They are mature. That's not maturity. Maturity isn't just knowledge. Christian maturity is Christ-likeness. Christian maturity is Christ-likeness. The Corinthians, they wanted wisdom and maturity beyond the cross, beyond Christ and its foolishness. And our danger today, right now, 21st century, just like the first century, 21st century in Tomball, Texas, our danger today is that we might be pursuing some kind of spirituality or some kind of maturity beyond Christ. And it's tragic. A spirituality with Jesus, of course. Well, yeah, of course Jesus is involved. Jesus is not a fan of being of course. Of course I need Jesus, but I mean, what else? Of course, I should look to Jesus. I know, but, but what else? And sometimes it's even more subtle than that. We can talk about marriage or try to help one another in marriage and give each other counsel and, and read books on marriage and listen to sermons about marriage. And yet, Jesus is missing. There's no cross, there's no resurrection. It ceases to be Christian. If we can say all these things and Jesus didn't have to die for what we're saying to one another and what I'm saying, it's irrelevant. We should be speaking in such a way, talking about Jesus in such a way. Everyone should be, every Christian preacher should be preaching in such a way that we would get kicked out of synagogues. That Muslims would hear us and go, eh, I don't, I don't know about that. I think some of us, our morality is the most dangerous thing in our lives. I think for some of us in this room, your morality, your do-goodness is one of the most dangerous things about you. Because it might just be that your obedience to God is just a coincidence. Because that's how you were brought up. And it has zero to do with Jesus being Lord of all. So is your Christian obedience actually empowered and fueled and driven by the cross and resurrection of Christ, or would you act the exact same way if you were not a Christian? Has Jesus' blood radically transformed your life and is still radically changing the things that you want to do and the things that you don't do, or has the blood of Jesus just kind of merged into your life and you just added Jesus on? 
Do we live the way we do because we're good citizens, because we don't want to be seen as weirdos, or do we actually live the way we do because we believe that there is a carpenter who, has, who is no longer dead for 2,000 years now? Does Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, direct your life today? This is true spirituality. This is the Corinthian conspiracy. They're living a Christ-forgotten and crossless Christianity, which is no Christianity. And I don't think we can stress this enough. There is no Christian experience, Christian growth, Christian maturity, Christian understanding apart from Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And it is actually when we see the cross of Christ and his empty garden tomb that we not only begin to understand this book, but we begin to understand the entire universe. What this is really all about, because then we have, as verse 16 says, we have the mind of Christ. So we see what all of this is really and ultimately all about, and we cannot hammer that enough. It was said of Martin Luther when people at his church in Germany would complain, you keep talking about the gospel again and again and again. Why do you keep talking about this gospel stuff? And he said, I'm going to keep talking about it until we all look like people who believe it. Until we are all living it, so it is safe for me to hammer it into your head every single week. And I'm going to take it a notch lower than Luther. It is safe for me to hammer it into my head every week. And it's safe for you to hear it every week that there is nothing without Christ. That the truest, best spiritual life, the only true spiritual life, true spirituality is gospel shaped. It's gospel formed. It's rooted in the gospel. Look at verse six. What does Paul say? We know the Corinthians, they want more. They want other things. They want these philosophies. They want this wisdom of the world. But what does Paul say? Because they think that's maturity. Verse six. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So he tells them, hey, I know you want wisdom. You think you're mature? The mature people, they're hearing what I'm saying. Because I'm sure there are some mature folks at Corinth. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom, yet it's not the wisdom you're looking for. Look at the next phrase. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So Paul's saying, look, I've rejected all that razzle-dazzle stuff that you're after, but we do have, we the apostles, we the church, we do have a mature and a deep secret hidden wisdom. And he's kind of saying in such a way, and you guys are missing out. You guys are seeking other things and you're, you're missing what is the true wisdom. It's not a wisdom of this age. And one of the things that you're going to hear right now in Christianity, in evangelicalism in America for the next few decades, we are going to keep hearing, hearing about various issues that we are behind the times. This is exactly what they're saying. Paul, you are behind the times. You need to catch up to the culture. We're going to keep hearing again and again. We are on the wrong side of history on X issue or Y issue. And guys, it's not that we are on the wrong side of history. It's that we are speaking from a different age. The wisdom of this world? No, no, no. We have a wisdom from a different age. We are speaking from a totally different realm, a totally different era, totally different eons of time. We're speaking from the eternal God and his word and his authority on all things. And Rob Bell, maybe you know, I've heard his name. He was a former megachurch pastor, now false teacher, touring around with Oprah. Um, he said recently in an article that the church in America, and the church everywhere, will continue to be irrelevant as long as we keep quoting 2,000-year-old documents. A man who used to preach from these 2,000-year-old documents, and some older, 
That's his Old Testament. You didn't even count Old Testament. Go further, Rob. 6,000-year-old documents. But the gospel and real Christianity, we see that this is not a wisdom of this age. This age cannot lead this age. We need, we need a different age to lead us. And look at verse 7. So what does Paul say? So we, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. He's saying, I, we have something that you're looking for. You're looking for this kind of mysterioso kind of teaching. Well, we, we have something even better than that. This, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. People love, you see in like the Christian bookstores and on Christian TV channels, yada, yada. People are obsessed with trying to figure out these codes. You see this all the time. People, oh, there's going to be another blood moon or, you know, whatever. Oh, the title patterns are changing. My toast had a weird impression on it. In the, there's Bible code if you add up the numbers. And that's all nonsense, guys. That's all nonsense. The secret of the universe, the, the code of the cosmos, according to Paul, in this passage is the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity, becoming a man Born in Nazareth, hanging on a cross, blood spilling on the ground, sins being forgiven, him rising again from the dead, not as a ghost, not in some kind of weird uh, hologram resurrection, but his actual brainstem kicking back on, blood coursing through his veins, him walking out of that, that, that tomb, and him ascending on high and reigning and ruling on the throne. This is the secret and hidden wisdom of the universe now declared to all. So why does this matter? You and I will always be tempted to look to something else. And Paul's saying, no, no, don't, don't trade out. Don't trade in rancid ground beef for filet mignon, for infinite filet mignon. That would put Fogo to child to shame. <laughs> you have the secret hidden, hidden wisdom in Christ. There's nothing deeper than the gospel. What I love about this, this part in verse, verse 7. God decreed this before the ages for our glory. So the gospel wasn't a makeshift plan after Adam and Eve sinned. It wasn't like they sinned in the garden and God's like, what are we going to do now? This has been decreed before the ages. So before Genesis 1, when God said, let there be light, there was already a meeting amongst the Trinity where they said, let there be gospel. Let there be redemption. We have decreed this before the ages for our glory. And since that is true, Genesis 1, where God says, let there be light, that is the first step in the fulfillment of the gospel. The Exodus, the nation of Israel, bring let out, that is another step in the fulfillment of the gospel. The book of Isaiah is more steps and more fulfillment to what God had decreed before the ages for you and for me. And do you see the age-sweeping nature of the gospel? Look at, what he, look at what Paul says again. God decreed it when? Before the ages, why? For our glory. In that few set of words, Paul says, this was decreed in eternity past that Christ Jesus would die for our sins and rise again, and it is for eternity future. It is for your glory. See what he's doing? Decreed in eternity past for your glory. Now we live 
fueled by that past age, living for the future age while we're in the middle of this present age. For your glory. This is the way you're headed. So don't ever belittle, don't ever trade it out, don't ever look away from the gospel. And look at verse eight. I love this title of Jesus. Now the rulers of this age, none of them understood this, verse eight. He's talking about Pilate and, and Herod, the people who are responsible for killing Jesus. For if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Verse nine, as it's written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart of man imagined, which God has prepared for those who love him. No one dreamed this up. No, no man, no team of writers could have ever come up with this plan. This is too wonderful. It's too amazing. And I love this phrase. They crucified the Lord of glory. That is a discombobulating, blessed series of words. Those normally would not be next to each other. You don't crucify a Lord in Roman culture. Let alone do you crucify the Lord of glory. Crucified in our place for our sins, being stripped naked, having thorns put on his head and being lifted up high, his blood pouring out, mingling on that Jerusalem soil and screaming out, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. The Lord of glory did this. The commander of the universe, not just the Lord of Israel, not just the Lord of the Middle East, not just the Lord of the manor, but the Lord of glory, the, the King of heaven, the King of all of eternity. This is who Jesus is. And when you begin to see that they crucified the Lord of glory for your glory, for you to be entered into that glory, you'll never want to trade out the gospel. You'll never, want, you'll never get bored with the gospel. And on a mere human level, you're probably thinking, I don't see what he's so excited about. On a mere human level, this, this makes no sense. They crucified the Lord of glory. This is why a lot of historians around the time of the early church said they worship a crucified thief. On a mere human level, the gospel makes no sense. This is why Christians are persecuted. This is why 21 men lost their head for this, for saying Jesus is Lord. The gospel is totally absurd if it's just sentences. If it's just words on a page, it's powerless. But it's not just words on a page. It's eternal power. For we are not ashamed of the gospel of God. For it is the power of God and salvation for all who would believe. So hopefully the gospel is not foolishness to you. Hopefully you love it. That you can look and go, yes, I am a great sinner. But I am so glad that I have a great savior in Christ Jesus. For I know for me personally, I would not be doing any of the things in my life if it were not for Jesus. I really don't even think I'd be alive. All my friends in elementary school that I had then, we moved away, 90% of them, prison, drugs, OD, I would have been in their number. So Jesus totally changes everything about us because the gospel it brings about a cross-shaped life, a gospel-powered life, a Christ-focused life. And do you see why you believe the gospel? Like, so how, do you, how did you make that jump from the gospel's crazy, it's just words on a page, it's just religion, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. I know that's some of y'all's story. I, I hate Christianity, that's ridiculous. How did that change happen? Verse 10, 
these things, this gospel, this crucified Lord of glory, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. You believe because the Spirit of God worked in you to believe. And the Spirit knows everything. That's what he says next. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Paul is telling them and us, don't neglect what you have in the Holy Spirit, what the Spirit is showing you about true spirituality rooted into the gospel. For this shapes everything about your life. And true spirituality, as we're going to see now, it's, it's comprehending by the Holy Spirit. True spirituality is comprehending by the Spirit. Look at what he says in verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? The answer, nobody. Just it's that guy. You don't know what I'm thinking right now. You don't know what the person next to you is thinking. I mean, we're just, we only know what's in here. So that's what Paul's saying. Hey, no one knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person. But how can we know God's thoughts? So also, so that's his analogy next. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Why does that matter? Because verse 12, and you have received the spirit who is from God that we might understand. So true spirituality is, bring, is an understanding brought about by the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you remember this movie. It's a Mel Gibson movie. It's called What Women Want. He gets electrocuted, and all of a sudden, he can now, he can hear what every woman around him is thinking. From little things like, whoa, too much aftershave, buddy, to, um, hey, get out of my cab, you loser. I mean, he, he's hearing everything that women are thinking, and he uses that to his advantage in some funny ways and some very sinful ways. He, he's using them and what they're thinking to help him. When I, when I read this passage, it made me think of that movie. We have no idea what this Bible is about and what these words say without the help of the Holy Spirit. We have no idea what is going on in the heavenly places. We have no idea what God wants without the help of the Holy Spirit. And now, since you have the mind of Christ, verse 16, and now that you have the Holy Spirit, you don't have to wonder, what is this all about? You know what it's all about. What does God want? You know that God doesn't want me to offer a bunch of sacrifices and animals. You know that God is not looking for me to give a bunch of money so I can receive healing. You know that God isn't looking at me and saying, you must be the best person in the world, and that is the only way I'll let you into heaven. You know that by having the spirit and the mind of Christ, that all God is looking for is saying, I believe in Jesus. And by believing in Jesus' death and resurrection, that's how I enter into eternal life. Not any of my works, lest I could boast, but only by grace through faith in Jesus am I saved. That's what God is after. This is what God is seeking. The Holy Spirit is the game changer in our lives. Because you only know that by the Spirit. When you read the Bible, when you listen to preaching, when this isn't static and stale. There is a dynamic movement of the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit is a game changer. And now, I know when we talk about the Holy Spirit, some people are like, oh, I'm getting a little nervous. You're talking about the Spirit. Other people are like, finally, you're talking about the Holy Spirit. I've been wanting to bring my tambourine for weeks, and we just haven't. <laughs> when, when we talk about the Spirit, 
The third trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I know our church would say our mission is make disciples and make much of Jesus. And we'll hear sometimes, what about the Father? What about the Spirit? Oh, totally. But when you read the Bible, the Father said, I'm making much of my Son. And we're going to see later, the Holy Spirit says, I'm here to glorify the Son. So when we actually are making much of Jesus, it is not to the belittling or to the detriment of the Father or the Son. We are joining with the Father and the Son to glorify. We're, glor- we're joining the Father and the Spirit to glorify the Son. For this is what they're all about. And when you think about when you do enter into that glory, you will not see God the Father. You will not see God the Holy Spirit for their spirit. The Father is a spirit as well. But you will see the Son. For he is the only one in the Trinity who has taken on any kind of form that he can be grabbed, he can be seen. He's who we will behold for all of eternity. That's why John 1 says that when you see the Son, you see the Father. If you want to know what the Father is like, you look at the Son. This is true spirituality. In the Spirit, seeing the Son. And look at verse 12. Why do we have the Holy Spirit? We have received not the Spirit of the world. So we're different people now. But the Spirit who is from God. Why? That, so there's our purpose. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. That. This is why these words are so important. You're learning why you have this Holy Spirit right here, that you might understand. One of the Spirit's primary activities in your life is to bring about understanding. And this is why men in the Reformation were burned at the stake, because they wanted you to have Bibles. And they didn't want just the church to have the Bible chained to the pulpit where only the preachers could tell the people what it said, but they wanted the people to see for themselves and to understand the things freely given them by the Holy Spirit. And when you don't pick up your Bible, when you don't read your Bible, we might as well still be pre-Reformation. We might as well still be before everyone had their own copies of the Bible. You are given the Spirit to understand these things freely. So what are these things? What things? In context, it's the gospel. Christ crucified and risen from the dead, the mystery of Christ, now made known throughout the whole universe. And this whole book, freely given you by God, that you might understand it. So now you have been relieved of the cop-out. It's too hard. Yeah, we all know the Bible's hard to understand. That's not new news. Even the Bible itself says some of Paul's writings are very difficult. This book is way too difficult to understand on our own. But what this passage is doing, that's why it's so important to your practical life, tonight, tomorrow morning, this verse levels the playing field for all Christians. You have been given the Spirit so that you might understand. We've all been let off the hook of saying, "Ah, I'm not smart enough. I don't understand. Guys, our natural smarts, they mean nothing when it comes to the Bible. Your natural IQ, your natural abilities, all these things are irrelevant when it comes to understanding the scriptures. That's what this verse is saying. We've been given the spirit so that we might understand because the natural man, verse 14, the natural person, he he cannot understand. He's not able to. So in our natural state, without the Holy Spirit, we cannot really understand the Bible. We cannot believe it and we cannot live it. No one comes to the Bible with an upper hand. Either the spirit is working or nothing happens. This is great comfort to me. I cheated my whole way through high school. I, I, I'm horrible in English. 
horrible in so many subjects, sinful. And yet, my job is now to pick apart words on a page. I hated reading, hated books, all, all of it. What? It's just the spirit. This gets rid of all arrogance, it gets rid of all pride, and it brings nothing but humility. Every time you read the Bible, and maybe for something you've read a hundred times, you've read it before, and then finally something clicks. You go, oh, ah, these aha moments, they are not from you. They are from the Holy Spirit of Christ. It's from the Spirit of God. Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit is our helper in John 14. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I find that to be way helpful, and you should too. You're like, oh man, I have a bad memory. Good, embrace your bad memory. Let the Spirit bring these things to remembrance. I'm having a hard time understanding. Good, embrace it, confess it, and so now Spirit, help me understand. Your SAT scores do not matter when it comes to understanding the Bible. That's a natural way of thinking. But we are brought supernatural power by the Holy Spirit. I mean, Peter and John, two, two of the disciples, probably two most, most famous ones, both wrote books of the Bible. The Bible says these guys were morons. Totally. Like, we can totally romanticize the apostles. Like, they're super intelligent guys. They were not. And neither am I, and neither are you. Acts 4. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, how would you like that to be enshrined about your life? And common men, they were astonished. What? Well, I'm blown away. These guys are dunces. Look at them. Look at their boldness. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The Spirit did this work, this great work in these men. He's doing the same thing in you and in me. If we're willing to humble ourselves. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God loves to use our weakness in his greatness. And if we would finally get over ourselves, I think we'll find great supernatural power in our lives. Jesus loves to use dunces for his glory. That's why you're here. That's why you're saved. And I might be the greatest dunce of all. The greatest dunce among the saints. And we, we don't think that way, though. We say things like, oh, man, how great would it be if Bill Gates became a Christian? Why do we say stuff like that? Yes, it'd be great, because he would get saved, and he would spend eternity with Jesus. Hallelujah. But we think, man, it'd be great if somebody like that became a Christian. Then think about how much cool stuff God could do. As though God needed him. But that's not the way the kingdom works. He chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And I love that, it's, that the Bible says about this passage, they recognized they had been with Jesus. What a beautiful thing to have said about us. Those are Jesus people. They've been with Jesus. And I love that this verse could be said about our church. Those are, th- those are a lot of dumb people at Redeemer. Non-impressive people. And they'd be amazed. Be amazed at our boldness. Be amazed at our love. And that they would recognize that we have been with Jesus a recognizable Jesus Christ in our lives, the Lord of glory. So how do we get there? How do we get to this point? I'm gonna give you seven keys. That's not how it works. That's like contradictory to everything I just said. But yeah, that's what we look for. Okay, I want these keys, I want these steps, that's not how it happens. 
It happens in quite ordinary ways, ways that you will think those are totally unspiritual. Look at the ways we get there. How, how does the spirit work? Look at verse 11. So what's our goal? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So our goal is comprehension. Verse 12. Now, if we have received not the spirit of the world, the spirit who is from God, why? That we might understand. So now we have comprehension. We have understanding. Then look at verse 13. How does that happen? How do we get understanding? We impart this in words. Ordinary, imparting, teaching of words. Verse 13 again. In words taught. And then we're interpreting truths. This is it. This is the amazing, supernatural, ordinary ministry of the Spirit, comprehending and understanding, imparting words, taught and interpreting them. This is the ministry of the Spirit in your life and in mine. A lot of times we want these, like, these weird, kind of bizarre, ooey-gooey, like, soft and chewy like, feelings from the Spirit. That's not how the Spirit works. He works through imparting words and helping you understand sentences in the Bible. This is what the Corinthians were seeking. They want these outside impressions and these, these kind of outside ESP theological forces. That's not how the Holy Spirit operates. The Holy Spirit is not anti-thinking. He is pro-thinking in your life. Imagine you walk into the coffee shop, there's two Christians, okay? You know they're Christians. They go to Redeemer, you know them. You see one guy in the corner, he's got his Bible open, he's got a journal, he's got highlighters, and he's going bananas in, in his Bible, Okay? And then you see the other Christian, they're in the corner, they're praying quietly by themselves. They have their chai tea and they're just kind of sitting there just praying. Which one's more spiritual to you? Which one do you look at and go, that's a, that's a, that's a godly person. We would usually gravitate towards the person praying by themselves in the corner. You're like, man, that's, that person's spiritual. But the Bible's saying, no, no, both Both are incredible acts of spirituality, seeking to understand and and to comprehend the word of God. This is why Bible reading and teaching and preaching are so important. What we've been doing now for about 30 minutes or so, this is not just information dump. You take what you like and you go and have roast preacher for lunch. I don't know. I didn't really have an intro today. I'm just thinking, no, no, no. This is idiocy. That's just moronic. What the Spirit of God does is he takes my garbled and cobbled together sermon and he has divine things in your life. If I'm faithful to the text, the Holy Spirit is flying behind my words and he is bringing about change in our lives for the glory of Christ. This is why God cares about words. This is why he says we're imparting this in words. That's why it's so important. You see, oh, for that and and but God. And you see, the Spirit is bringing about knowledge to you. So we must try to comprehend the Bible to look at the words, to entrust the Holy Spirit to help us. And once that starts clicking, you will find more joy and enjoyment than you've ever experienced before. Okay, let's say you do it. You keep looking like, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. I guess I'm done. I'm going to go watch TV. No, don't give up. Keep looking. Keep thinking. Keep praying. Like Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, think over what I say. Why? So it's a command. There's a command and a promise here. Think over what I say. This is why I like the kind of Bible roulette, just, no, no, no. Okay, done. No, you gotta think. What do I do with this? What is it showing me about God? What is it showing me about Christ? Think, think. Why? For promise. Here's why. 
For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So you read the Bible and you think about it. You meditate on it. You keep thinking about it because words matter. Don't run to your study Bible too quickly. Don't run to your app. Don't go talk to someone else too quickly. You should do all those things to make sure you're not wrong. Because when you open up your Bible, divine, supernatural things are afoot. A lot of people conceive the Spirit's work to be these kind of Ouija board impressions. I just feel like the Spirit led me to do this. How, how do you know? It sounds spiritual. I don't think it is. How do you know the Spirit led you to do that? How do you know it wasn't your flesh? How do you know it wasn't your own sinful desires? The Spirit will lead us to, we can tangibly say that, if it's in the Bible. Like the Spirit led me to serve. The Spirit led me to pray. The Spirit led me to sing. The Spirit led me to encourage, to honor God. These things are not natural things. These are supernatural things from the Spirit. And many only think of the Spirit's work as being the fire and tongues at Pentecost and all the pyrotechnics. And the Spirit did that in Acts. And I think the Spirit will do things like that all over the world today, which we'll see later in 1 Corinthians. But do you conceive that the Spirit's work is also the stealth-like nature when you're reading the Bible? Showing you what's in the text, showing you what's in the gospel, showing you what's in Christ, how the Spirit's bringing understanding. I love what Jesus says. And maybe you're like, I don't understand that, what you're saying. Well, according to this text, you can only see what's in the text because of the Spirit. So you can only see that the Spirit does this work in your life if the Spirit's doing your work in this life right now. If you're sitting there going, I have no idea what this joker's been talking about. The Spirit's not at work in your life. If you're listening and going, okay, the Spirit helps me comprehend the Bible. The Spirit's at work in your life. These are tangible, real things. What does the Holy Spirit do? Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come, and he will glorify me. What's the spirit's role? He wants to glorify the son and guide you into the truth. You could say it this way. The spirit has decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The Spirit wants to guide us back to the cross and remember Jesus dying in our place for our sins. The Spirit wants to guide us back to the empty tomb and see Jesus risen from the dead. The Spirit wants to guide us through the word, showing us the centrality of Christ in all of life and showing us how to enjoy and grasp that secret, hidden wisdom of God, mystery of the ages now made known to us. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, on whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery, the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, and believed on in the world and taken up in glory. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, how? According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. We're only made strong by the gospel. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed. And through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. If that is not appealing to you, you might still be dead in your sins. 
Or it might be that you are grieving the Spirit and you have unrepentant sin in your life. But you can believe today if you believe that Jesus sought you and bought you with his redeeming blood. And if you hear these things and you hear the gospel and you're excited and go, yes, I love Jesus and what he's done for me. The cross has become food for your soul and he continues to be the food that you live on because the Spirit is at work in your life. People want to know, how can I know I'm saved? How can I know the Spirit's at work in me? Do you enjoy Jesus? Do you enjoy the gospel? Do you see the secret hidden now proclaimed to you? This is true spirituality. Christ alone, our cornerstone, where the weak are made strong and the Savior's love. Let's pursue him by the Spirit. Let's pray. If you're serving the Lord's Supper today, I invite you to to come forward. And even now, maybe confess any sins that you know of. No sin too small, no sin too big. For the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Confessing, Lord. Lord, now we come to you. Maybe we have sought other things than the gospel of Christ. We have sought for fulfillment. We have looked for other things other than you and you alone. Lord, would you bring us back? Would would your spirit guide us back into the truth to see the wonder and majesty of Christ crucified for us, risen from the dead for us, and returning for us? Would you help us, Lord? And may, may we be the kind of church where it's recognized that we have been with Jesus. And it's in your awesome name that we pray, Lord. Amen.